Hello and welcome. This is the Network Collective Community Roundtable, and I am your host, Jordan Martin. Network programmability has taken some significant steps over the past couple of years, and today we're going to explore an avenue of programmability that I haven't spent much time in, and that's gRPC. So we've brought together a couple of guests with a significant amount of experience around automation to help us in talking through what gRPC is and why it's a useful tool in the automation toolbox. So settle in, and we'll be right back with today's episode. So like I said in the opening, joining me today are a couple of exceptional guests. In fact, I'm really excited for today's episode. And I guess we'll start off uh, with a longtime friend of the show, Nick Russo. So Nick, how are you doing today, man? Doing pretty good. It's uh, a nice Saturday. The snow in Maryland is melting. So that's nice. And uh, otherwise doing okay. That, that's great that it's melting for you. We got over two feet from that same storm. I think it's going to be a while until our snow is <laughs> snow is gone for a while. So, uh, so Nick, it's glad, it's good to have you back on. Uh, it's been a little while. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah. And also joining us today is uh, Darren O'Connor. Uh, Darren, this is Darren's first time on Network Collective, so this is exciting. I followed Darren for years on Twitter, so it's kind of cool to finally, you know, meet even if it's in this virtual space. So, so welcome, Darren. We're excited to have you here. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing excellent. Thank you. Um, much like Nick, we had we had snow. Oh, well, you guys as well. We had snow as well. But actually down here in Virginia, it's actually mostly gone at this point. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tony, I think you're going to kick us off. Yeah. So, uh, so guys, it, it's I'm very glad to have you both here. Um, it's a pleasure uh, to meet you, Darren and, and Nick. Always a pleasure. Um, I, I want to start off by saying I'm the absolute noob here. Okay, I, I'm the one who knows least of the uh, who knows the least uh, sitting at the table on this topic. So I'm completely new to this concept. Let me start off by asking, what is gRPC? Why do we have gRPC, and how does it work, or how is it defined? Uh, yeah, I can, I can, yeah, I'll give that one a shot. So I think that's that's how I approached the gRPC about a year ago as well. You know, we've got NetConf, we've got RESTConf, we've got REST just in general. And it kind of begs the question is, why do we have this new method of communication? So gRPC is, stands for Google Remote Procedure Call. And RPC in general is just a type of API where, you know, as compared to REST, where we are directly accessing resources and we are, you know, using verb-based uh, actions on them like get and post in the context of HTTP. With RPC, instead, we are kind of sending remote instructions to a uh, managed device or something. And it's almost like making a function call on the remote device and passing in parameters and expecting to get a response. So it's a little bit different way of communicating. And that's just a general kind of RPC summary. What gRPC does is it takes some of the shortfalls of REST. And when I say shortfalls, it's not necessarily of the REST architecture per se, but it's of the way in which REST is typically implemented in that we don't always have a clearly defined contract for how clients and servers communicate in a RESTful environment. So for example, uh, a lot of you know, for example, I've spent a lot of time building these Postman collections for various REST APIs because it's been useful for my job and for other things. And every time I touch a new product, the structure of the messages is different. I have to look at some custom Swagger documentation or online documentation to figure out how to structure the requests, how the URLs work, how the query parameters work. That's all kind of comes standard when you're working with a new REST API. But with gRPC, they've defined basically a new language, you know, protocol buffers or like a proto file, we sometimes call it. And in this file, you define the services that are available. 
includes all the different object types that can be passed back and forth. Like here are the config arguments. Here's the config response. Uh, we have this concept of, of client and server where we can send these RPCs and get messages back. And that's all clearly defined in this relatively simple, easy to read protobuf type construct. Now, the advantage of having this abstract file is that we can convert that file into various client libraries for different languages, Python, Java, or whatever. And that automatically gives us almost like a, a miniature SDK or an API wrapper to interface with the gRPC services. So we're not sitting there trying to craft manual HTTP requests to interface with a remote device. We can use that library that was built or compiled from the proto file to interface with the services directly. And this was kind of the so what moment for me or the, the light bulb moment where I saw that rather than have to enumerate all these different requests and data types, I have a way to take a common simple file that's human readable, compile it into whatever code uh, for API wrappers in whatever language I need, and then I can use that to simplify my programmatic access. So I know that was kind of a long-winded answer, but I think that hopefully answers the so what on why gRPC is useful. So yeah. this, this yeah. file, this protobuf file, right? Like this is something that's created by whoever's providing the interface that you're interfacing with, right? So rather than you as a programmer or, you know, an engineer trying to do automation, having to go out and discover what's available by going and reading documentation, the, the person who creates the interface you're trying to interface with provides almost like an abstracted way of looking at how you interact with the system that you then can that you then can use to to kind of create your own programs. Now it's interesting. I'm, I'm assuming that there's like a ecosystem around this, right? Like there's different tools and how to deal with that protobuf file and turn it into, you know, like if my language of choice is Python, to to convert that protobuf into something that is usable in the language of choice. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So uh, Google, well, the gRPC project provides um, what they call the core languages, and the core languages are things like Python. C++, uh, Go, uh, Java, and a few others. Uh, but actually, there's 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 protocol, um, sorry, proto compilers for a multitude of languages that that third parties are running. Um, but yes, it's uh, as Nick said, it's it's a it's the greatest part about it is that as an example, if I'm currently uh, trying to write a REST client for a, a service that I provide, it's taken me days just to write this client in one language. Where because I know all my endpoints, I know all the parameters. Whereas, if I just provided you the protofile saying, "Hey, this is the request, get origin, for example. This is the IP address you're looking for, and I'll give you the origin ASN for that." Um, the protofile is very simply defined, just saying, "Get something. This is my input. This is my output." And as Nick said, it's very, very readable. It's you know, there's no complicated. It's almost like pseudocode, right? And then you can just download that protofile in whatever language you want. Python, as an example, in your case, um, run it through this proto-c uh, converter, which gives you a library, which you import, and it gives you all the getters, setters, all the parameters that you require. You don't have to, you know, it's, it's just there, right? You can now just use it immediately. So I see this as kind of skipping a step in what we consider our traditional REST API. So if, we, if, we're, if we're working with a, a REST API that is well-known, the chances are that somebody out there has developed a library and how to work with that. That somebody, we're hoping that somebody has done that. And if not, then we have to create it ourselves. By having the protobuf, there's an automated way of creating that library uh, because whoever whoever created the interface. Okay, that that's oh, I'm already like excited about that because I can see the I can see the benefits there. Um, now you had mentioned again, kind of comparing contrast against REST 
Um, and, and I think that if um, if anyone's familiar with automation, I'm gonna I'm assume that they're gonna have at least touch rest in some degree or another. One of the things about rest that I think is challenging as we talk about automation, some of those other things is the statefulness. Is there, is there a difference here as well? So um, the, with rest, right? Like I make one, I make one request and I get one thing back. If I make the next request, there's no association with that request. There's no tie-ins, there's no whatever. So is, is there a difference here with gRPC or is that the same? Uh, it's, I think it depends, right? Um, in general, it depends on how you define the service, right? Uh, for me, most of the time we make services idempotent, right? So I'm not mm -hmm. sure if, you know everyone knows what idempotency is, but give it, let me give you an example. If I create a service that says allows you to specify or create an IP address on, a, on an interface, uh, if you say, for example, put 10.0.0 slash 31 on this interface and you call that service again, if that IP address already exists on the interface, I don't want an error to come back. I just want you to reply saying, fine, right? Um, meaning that, it doesn't really matter what the previous state was. All I know is now that that address is on that interface, right? Now, there is a slight difference in that REST always is always given as a, you know, you request something or you post something and then there's a reply. Um, gRPC can work in the, in the same way as well, but it can also work in what they call a streaming mode. In other words, instead of just every single request being its own individual thing, you can create a you know connection and just stream data, right? In other words, I'm, I might say, well, I want the status of this interface every three seconds, uh, create a single stream, and it just keeps coming back, almost like you know, streaming telemetry, right? It's exactly the same, right? Um, you don't get that with REST, right? However, going back to the original question, whether the state, you know, it, it's still, again, it depends on how the service is defined. I would still say that, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, Sorry, I lost my train of thought completely there. <laughs> We're talking so, about, yeah. That's all right. So I, I think what I was really getting at is that is yeah. that idea of of um, a connection that's that's more than one request or a yes. series of requests. So the idea is you can connect in and you can pull the same thing over an interval multiple times from Correct. a streaming telemetry type approach with with REST that would be individual calls each time. Correct. Correct. Like we'd 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 have to we'd have to say okay we're going to set a timer in our own code, mm -hmm. <laughs> right, and say I'm going to hit this request. I'm going to wait three seconds. I'm going to hit that request again. I'm going to wait three seconds. It's not really streaming in so much mm -hmm. as that I'm just collecting some counter on some regular interval. I'm having to initiate that request every time. With gRPC, we can set up something where it's a it's a sustained connection, something that something that lives over a period of time where right, I, get, I, I get the same request yeah. back at whatever interval, depending on whether or not that's been something that's offered as a service uh, on on whatever we're connecting to. Correct. I mean, to put it, you know, into context for what a lot of network engineers would know is it's kind of the difference between using SNMP where you're saying, give me the status of this polling for uh, an interface status, as opposed to just saying, just stream me this, you know, the, the, the status of the interface. Uh, and just to give a little bit more around it, uh, GRPC allows you to do not just, you can do server-side streaming, client-side streaming, or bi-directional streaming, right? Depending on the application that you require, right? If you need to keep sending data that needs to be written to a database or if you want to keep pulling, uh, getting information out, or just keep a channel for constant communication, uh, gRPC gives you all, all of those options. And the original one is what they call the unary operation. That's very similar to, you know, a REST call where you you connect, you give a single command, you get a single response. You can still do that, yeah. So I, I wanted to jump in here and ask the both of you. Um, 
at the top of the show, we mentioned gRPC as something that's new. Um, so I kind of want to know, is is this something that's new? And also, is it becoming the de facto standard that's replacing something that came before it, you know, the way SSH did with Telnet? Or is this just yet another way to interact with devices? I would say, okay. So I would say, um, so if you read the documentation, you can see that um, gRPC is, is kind of the open source version of what internally Google calls Stubby. And Google has been using this for a long time. Now, what I've noticed is that more and more companies are using gRPC or at least embracing gRPC, uh, especially I would say these you know, cloud native companies, right? Netflix and, and Uber and so on. Now, whether it becomes the actual standard, I'm not sure. I, I think there's still a case for you know, where REST is useful. Uh, I, don't, I certainly don't see it completely taken over, but um, in, I, depending on your internal services, I, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's certainly better than you know rest in in, in a lot of um, items, but I, I certainly don't see it becoming the default everywhere. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I I think I agree with Darren. Um, it's it's kind of like even if we take gRPC out of the conversation completely, it's like comparing RestConf and NetConf. They both have you know behind the scenes, they're both very heavily dependent on Yang to be successful. The difference is that one is a REST-based API and one is an, an RPC-based API. And to Darren's point, uh, even with NetConf, you can do things like streaming telemetry and such. Uh, gRPC just makes it a little more abstract because we define those services in a, in a proto file. And you know, Yang's involvement with gRPC is something we can talk about in a little while. But long story short, I would say that we'll probably see gRPC as another option rather than a replacement for things like RESTConf. I think one of the big advantages of REST in general is that the barriers for entry are just comically low. Now, even though gRPC isn't that hard, and the fact that you get a human-readable proto-file that can be easily compiled, and like you said, Jordan, there's a whole ecosystem of tools for different languages to help with that. You know, In Python, it's gRPC.io, and gRPC.io-tools are two common packages that we use to get Python uh, source code from the proto-file through the compilation process. But as it relates to REST, you can open up Postman, you can use curl, you can write a quick Python script with requests or whatever, and immediately begin talking to your device without some of the background knowledge that you need. And I think there's a lot to say, there's a lot to be said about that because there are other products, you know, there are a lot of products already that have been using REST. There are, you know, even not related to network stuff and having a common way to interface with all those different products and services, even if the requests are different, I think there's some value there. Now, of course, all there's nothing mechanically preventing those products from having gRPC-based APIs. And in fact, uh, for example, uh, Cisco iOS XR and Nexus both have read-write gRPC APIs. iOS XE can do streaming, uh, dial out streaming telemetry with gRPC. It just can't be managed by it yet. Some of them also have GNMI, which is a topic we'll cover in a future show. So these products are starting to add this new interface because like Darren said, there are, you know, I have a friend who works at a, another cloud provider and they use gRPC extensively and being able to use gRPC to manage all of your devices is also an advantage. And in my opinion, that's why we see devices or services that support multiple APIs is because you don't want to work in an organization where, okay, I got to use NetConf on my Juniper, I got to use RESTConf on my Cisco, and I got to use gRPC on my Alcatel. And it's like, yeah, you can do that. And you can build an appropriately abstract 
you know, uh, software architecture to do that. But it's easier if you don't have to make those choices and you can unify the method by which you access devices. So I think it's going to be an additional thing and less of a replacement. So let's talk about those tools a little bit, because I mean, you, you mentioned some of them here. I, I think that, uh, and I think that <laughs> there's just at least to kind of give an idea of what's out there. You mentioned a couple of names now, but I think when we talk about rest, you talk about a couple of really convenient things. We know we have Postman available to us, which does, like you said, you said comically, I don't know that I'd say comically, but it does definitely lower the barrier uh, of entry and kind of interfacing with that rest API. Um, now I know, and this is a great resource. I'm going to point it out. Your emerging technology guide, Nick, is what I use to kind of prep for this show. Um, in the, in there, you walk through some very valid examples of kind of like how to start from scratch and interface with a with a, a gRPC interface on an iOS XR router. It's very cool. It's good to kind of see it, you know, step by step. But in there, I did recognize the fact that it's like, okay, well, first this is, you know, dependent on probably five or six different tools to get there. Like you have to go out and get that proto protobuf file. You have to interpret that protobuf file into something. There's there's you know other types of wrappers that do make it a bit easier in your particular language if you want to consume it. And so the question is, you know, what is that ecosystem? look like? I mean, I'm assuming most of these are, I mean, Darren, I think you mentioned the fact that a lot of these uh, interpreters, are, I don't even know what the right word, I'm sorry, sorry if I'm butchering this, but the, these these wrappers that help take that protobuf file and make it into uh, a library for use, like Google's produced some of these for the major languages. There's some others that have been produced for maybe some less common use use cases. And then there's wrappers around that people who've <laughs> made it even easier. Right. So like, there's a, does that sound like the ecosystem? Am I getting that right? Um, not exactly. In, in general, when you, um, most of the time you don't need wrappers. And what I mean is uh, the, the, the protocy uh, compiler will just take that uh, protocol and uh, create a library in which you can import immediately into your code and just start using it. Um, in, you generally don't need extra wrappers unless you're doing something really advanced. Although a lot of the things like load balancing and you know uh, retries and so on are actually being built into the protocol. So as an example, if you know you can get gRPC directly to say, hey, I want to uh, execute an RPC, and if there's a timeout, then you know let it wait and then just retry. But that's built into the the client library. Again, that's really nice because if you, if I did something similar to REST, that would have to be programmed into the REST client, right, that behavior. So you kind of get that for free. Um, certainly, some people have created wrappers for certain things. But in general, I personally have never seen a need to use any of those. Um, but going back to, to, what, to what Nick said earlier, um, it is true that in you know with REST, the good thing is that the, the, the barrier of entry is really low, right? You can just use curl, as he said, to immediately you know, interrogate a REST service and get some results back. Thankfully, I am seeing slowly but surely a couple of open source tools doing similar things for um, gRPC. You can actually, for example, there's something called gRPC curl. There's a thing called HTTP curl, uh, sorry, a, a gRPC HTTP. And what this allows you to do essentially is, is almost exactly the same as uh, curl. It's just call this command with the protofile and immediately interrogate a service and get a result back. Obviously, the difference being that just like, you know, Vi, curl is just usually on most you know, distributions you know straight away uh, you don't have to worry about installing these third-party tools but they are coming you know uh, pretty thick and fast and I, they're pretty useful yeah 
And that makes sense from a usability perspective because of the fact that, again, you're defining the services. So mm-hmm. writing that tool shouldn't really be all that. Uh, the barrier of entry is pretty small, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's interpret the file and then, you know, give some switches and commands to the end user to to query. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Now, Nick, you'd mentioned something before about uh, a tie between uh, gRPC and Yang. Uh, maybe Maybe we should explore that a little bit. Yeah, so this is completely dependent on how the uh, gRPC services are defined, of course. So unlike something like RESTConf, which is very heavily tied to Yang uh, for managing devices, with gRPC, you know, just to give the iOS XR example, because that's what I've documented in the book, and that's what I've played around with for my own personal learning, is that when you issue... Uh, an RPC to do a config edit or a config replace. I think I think the RPCs are called a merge config and replace config, for example. And those are pretty self-explanatory how they differ. And one of the arguments in the config args object, which of course is defined in the proto file, is a Yang path. And that's defined as a string. So you would use XPath or XML path to specify what is the specific resource I want to access. So it does have a little bit of a rest feel because we're still targeting a resource but we're wrapping it inside of gRPC. So we're saying, I'm going to send you this request. Here is the X path to the resource I want to replace or whatever. And then there will also be another thing, which is the body, like a a JSON object encoded as a string would be like the second argument. So it's actually looks and feels a lot like a post request. There's a URL and a body. Well, in this case, there's just two arguments inside of this config args object or whatever it's called in the proto file. So so the kind of basic create, read, update, delete, or CRUD operations within gRPC, you know, I think Darren called it the unary operation. That transactional one for one is, it, it has a very rest feel to it. It's just the mechanics are different. So you can still do a lot of those same operations and you would just specify the Yang data that you want to overwrite. Now, this is how iOS XR, the the, the developers at Cisco who manage that product, this is how they've developed it. And that's in the proto file that they've published for consumption. Um, Other products may do it differently, but I found that this seems to be pretty common. And also, again, we'll talk GNMI another time. It seems to be pretty common for network-based gRPC type management to use Yang because if, if we've already invested all this effort and all this, you know, human suffering to build this complex thing called Yang, it would make sense that we leverage it for all these different APIs so that when you come over from the RESTConf or the NetConf world, you're starting off with a foundation like, okay, even though the transport mechanism is new and the semantics of gRPC are different, the Yang data models and the tooling that I already use for Yang, Yang Explorer, ANX, Yang Suite, whatever, I can retain all that knowledge and put it to use more rapidly. So I thought that was a good decision by the people who have done a lot of gRPC work for network automation. Right. And in this, the Yang, in this case, is not a gRPC requirement. It is a requirement of whoever wrote the provider. It's it's just another argument in the gRPC call. Right that you're providing data. It just so happens to be that Yang is the structured data. So there's no, there's no like one-to-one tie-in here. I mean, someone can invent a new structured data format. Not that I'm recommending that. That's not what I'm saying. But somebody theoretically could and say, you have to provide data in this format. GRPC would handle that just fine. You just, you just got to pass it as, as part of the argument. Is that correct? Yeah. So imagine, you know, imagine if um, some other non-network product, you know, some generic 
you know, thing that gets sold, it has its own, it, it wants data in a specific structure. So, and, and Yang just happens to be what we use for networks, but those other products could very well use something different uh, following their own custom, you know, REST API structure. But more often than not, we would not, you know, it's not as common to just pass in giant JSON strings like that. I think Yang is somewhat exceptional in that it makes sense to do it for network devices. For most other services, you'd just be dealing with the, you know, the operations with some basic arguments like, um, for example, if I were dealing with like a, a let's just make this up, like a CRM app uh, that isn't Yang based and I want to create a new account or a new deal, maybe I specify the customer name, the dollar amount and the, you know, the date that I started talking to the customer. And those might be three different strings and those get passed in. And then upon receipt, the server will go and create that object and perform the database rights and, and do whatever else needs to be done to record that record. But yes, it, it, you very well could use your own structured language there. But I think it's more common that the individual items are just enumerated in the request. I think that's probably what we would see more often uh, as opposed to something like Yang for most general purpose use. Uh, GRPC, if this is such a, an improvement over the way we do um, um, interacting with devices, are we seeing this uh, being accepted in things that aren't within our networking domain? You know, are servers implementing this? Are, um, you know, are, are, will operating systems um, implement this as a way to sort of uh, poll them and manage them and things like that? Are you guys seeing the spread or is it still mostly in the, our networking domain where, where gRPC is used? So I see it not just in networking space, but in just a lot of um, services. For example, like I said, uh, you know, Netflix and, and, and Uber use uh, gRPC extensively um, internally. Um, not just in regards to networking routers and switches, for example, right? Um, whether, you know, operating systems would allow, you know, expose, you know, a, a programmable interface to the kernel, for example, through a gRPC interface, I don't see that. Um, it's certainly something that could, you know, somebody could certainly write, you know, an application that did that. Um, but I, I, I don't see that kind of being exposed just like you know, much like REST, right? I don't, you know, I don't think there's, you know, by default any RESTful interface that you can, you know, change config on a server, sure. right? Unless you add, uh, you know, an application that's doing that. So, and my my next question was, um, gRPC must be just a, a, a server side application and and a defined protocol, right? It must be a daemon running on a, an appliance. Um, is there any significant uh, resource utilization difference between running like like a RESTful API HTTP server or and a gRPC uh, uh, daemon uh, on the appliance? So if it's just running, then uh, in general, not, right? It's just listening on the port, right? It depends on now I get a request and I'm now doing some work. Uh, now I have to send you the result, right? If, if the result is a very large amount of text, right? then with REST, it needs to be encoded into JSON or something, right? And then responded to you like that way. Now, over the network, obviously, that means that that reply is pretty big, right? Because I'm explaining each field and there's text in the field as opposed to gRPC where it's all just binary format, right? I mean, just imagine like, you know, two BGP speakers speaking to each other. If they were doing that over JSON, they would be explaining what each field is before they just sent it. Whereas on the binary format, it's really just this is a code and this code, we all know this code means X, right? Uh, it's much, much more efficient in that regard. But from a resource and also like the actual, what we say, marshalling and unmarshalling from, you know, from my data into a format that's going to be packed over to the wire. 
because you know rest has all this extra baggage you could say it is a little bit more resource intensive uh, than grpc in that regard but actually the, for the for the semantics of just sitting and listening for something or actually doing work it's probably going to be about the same yeah, I think using uh, BGP as an example was like perfect for me to sort of visualize and, and and understand that. That was great. Thanks. You mentioned something there in in the encodings, um, and this was something that I didn't fully wrap my head around in in preparing for this show. So I'm hoping I'm hoping I can get there in this one uh, with with someone who may be a little bit more experienced who just used that great example of BGP to explain it for Tony, right? And that is one of the differences that's listed is this idea that when we get into some of the the streaming telemetry is there's a number of encodings where this is a differentiator from from other options. So why is that a big deal? Why does that matter? And what does that mean to me as a as a consumer of this gRPC service? Yeah, I'll, I'll give that a shot. So it kind of to, to build on what Darren said, he kind of hinted at this earlier is that if you get a request to return a whole bunch of data, and it's a lot of data, and especially if it's a lot of plain text, then that's computationally expensive to to serialize, you know, you have to put it on the wire that takes electricity, like the whole, the whole process is heavyweight from all aspects of, you know, how you think about transmitting that data. What we have in gRPC is uh, a concept called, you know, we have a variety of encodings here, like you said, and the most compact one, sometimes we just call it Google protocol buffer or GPB. Sometimes we explicitly call it compact GPB. The reason we call it that is because all the data is just, is it's just binary data. So it's not, easily human readable, but this goes back to the magic of the protofile. We already agreed on what the contract was. We already know that in every request, the first item is a 16-bit unsigned integer. The second one is a string, blah, blah, blah. So we already agree on what the structure is so that it's okay for me to send you just this raw data in a binary format because you know how to interpret it. So not only is that less data over the wire because we're not doing ASCII or UTF text, but it's also faster because the machine, uh, I think that, you know, the common terms we see in gRPC are marshalling and unmarshalling. That process really doesn't have to happen the same way because we're not doing any translation to text and back. So we have this option. And when we talk about streaming telemetry, especially at scale and for speed, we almost always see compact GPB being used as this mechanism. Of course, there are other mechanisms too. So if you want to think about GPB as having the whole data structure being in binary code, the the other extreme, which is human readable, easier to understand conceptually, but worst performing would be just JSON text. So think about a REST API where you issue a GET request and you get back an HTTP response that has a body that's JSON. Yes, it, it's... It's technically structured data because we can easily parse it and we can extract items from it, but it's still plain text from the perspective of HTTP. It just happens to look like a JSON dictionary or whatever. That's kind of how the JSON type encoding works is we're going to give you all this data back, but the keys and the values are both plain text. So not that human, readab not that human readability is really that important, but it, it does... Um, you know, if you're sniffing it or you're troubleshooting or you have debugging enabled or maybe your tooling's not as good to do the unmarshalling for debugging reasons, this could be useful. And then kind of the middle performing option uh, and some platforms only support this option, which is kind of strange. I suspect we'll see that change. But the other option that's commonly supported is called key value GPB or KV GPB. 
What this is, it's a hybrid of the two approaches where it says we'll have the keys, basically the names of the fields in the protobuf file. So the deal ID, the deal dollar amount, the customer name, those will be plain text. But all the data thereafter is going to be uh, binary. So you don't necessarily need to see all that data, but you can see what the keys are to give you a high level of the structure. Now, of course, this is still not as good performing as the compact mechanism because there's still some uh, marshalling and unmarshalling that has to happen. But for example, Cisco iOS XE only supports this option and Telegraph. So if you're using uh, like a Telegraph influx DB type telemetry stack to consume this data, Telegraph can accept those connections and it knows how to read key value GBB. So there are some advantages to, to these different encoding mechanisms. And again, I, I illustrate these in the book and you can see the readability difference as you make your way down. Um, but these are the different options that you have. And, and, and for example, in a REST API, you typically can't just get back binary data because I don't know how to read it. We haven't agreed on, you know, there's not like a, a pre-made agreement or a definition of services where I could not possibly know it, which is why we almost always see text, whether it's JSON or XML or HTML or other or whatever. Uh, but we have an option here to do binary data. And to Darren's point, it's very high performing and we tend to see this in, in large scale environments. So this this uh, kind of reminds me of like processor architectures, right? The the like when we talk about you know when when you make a a processor specifically for networking for network forwarding, we've already agreed upon what the packet headers are going to look like, so we don't have to redefine them. The idea is I'm going to get this data, I'm going to process it exactly because we've already we've already declared the definitions, and so we get the most performance out of that processor as possible compared to something like a general purpose processor where you might have to do some definition. That That's probably not a great analog, but I mean, it's the way that makes me think about this and that we've already agreed upon the definitions, and because of that, I can just send you the straight data without having to color it all without having to give you context at all. We're in rest because of the fact that we don't have an agreement because of the fact that we haven't established anything. All you've done is all of a sudden a request came in and I don't have any context for what that request is or how knowledgeable you are on the other end. I've got to provide some level of definition for what that data is and provide it in a way that's that's readable uh, to you. And because of that, we're adding a bunch of additional overhead. And so that's where the performance gains are coming from. Is that, I understand that correctly? I'm getting yeah. nods, so I'll say yeah, yes. Nods are right. great on podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay, so and there's and it, it sounds like you said that there was you know kind of a hybrid option. Yeah, I, I can understand why you would say that. It seems kind of odd as being the only option. I guess having it be there is like slight improvement, right? I guess we define the we define the fields as plain text, but the data as binary. I guess there's some advantage there. It's not quite the same as going full full binary, but I mean flexibility is not I guess not a bad thing if you have options. Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of kind of pick and choose. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna speculate here. Um, having not written any telegraph code and having not written any router code, this could be completely wrong. But here's my thought on why KVGPB uh, KV could be useful: is suppose that telegraph doesn't actually know what the you know suppose telegraph is out of the loop on the contract and it just doesn't know what the data is. Well, if I receive the data and the keys are in plain text, then maybe. I know, you know, I, I at least have some context on what the data is, and then I can just blindly interpret the binary data and put it on a graph to show you. I'm guessing that that could be completely wrong, but I'm wondering just kind of out loud if there's some kind of programmatic advantage to the key value approach, which gives you better performance and just enough context for intermediate third-party devices that may not be gRPC participants that are maybe just passively receiving telemetry. 
So Darren, if that's completely wrong, by all means, flame me for it. But I, to me, that might that might be an answer. To be honest, I don't have actually much experience with J, uh, KVGPB. Um, so I'm not going to be able to provide much context back on that. Okay. Yeah, I think we're all kind of speculating here. But yeah, yeah I, I couldn't tell you why it's useful, but I, I think there might be a reason. <laughs> I think there's enough experience on this call that we can speculate with at least some level of credibility. At least it's not a complete shot in the dark. And and when we're talking about this encoding here, I mean, we're really talking probably more towards uh, the streaming type applications where we're going to be receiving data back regularly. Is that correct? Like if this is really the context that we're looking for this high performance? Because I imagine these, um, did you call them unary or whatever, these, these single calls... I guess, I mean, I, I guess it depends on the frequency and the amount of them about whether or not this is really important, but I could see this being really important when it comes to pulling streaming data back without having to redefine. Like that's really where we want to see these performance gains primarily. Is that correct? Uh, I, I'd say so, but um, there's another aspect of, uh, of performance as well. Um, I'll give you a good example here. So uh, gRPC is based on, um, the transport is based on HTTP2 right now. Technically, REST could also run over HTTP2, but um, what it means is like, if I have a client and I'm doing a lot of calls to a service, um, I can set up a single channel to that service and I can send a lot of unary requests over that same channel, right? That's, that channel is shareable between a bunch of functions that I have. What that means is that I don't have to keep having to do that TCP three-way handshake in the beginning, right? And setting up this connection and doing our key HTTPS key exchange. It's just, well, I've already set it up. Now I'm just sending like another request over that same channel, right? Whereas in REST, you don't really get that. You have to, every time you're requesting, you it's kind of like, hey, how are you doing? You know, let's set up a channel and let's, you know, exchange some data. Um, and if you're doing a lot of calls, even if the, you know, the, the, the sending and the saving of, of data is really, really small, you're still getting a much higher performance because of that. Uh, you know, just from a round trip uh, perspective, right? You're not keep having to set the channel up. It's just the same channel just, you know, keeps, keeps at it. Is that by default or is that something that like you have to, you have to initiate on the client side to say, I want to open a channel for a bunch of requests. Does it assume that you're opening a channel and then closes it down after a period of time? Like, how do you, how do you interface with that? Or is that defined by the person who writes the module on the server side of it? No, that's really defined by really that actually comes down to how you've done your, your, your client, right? It's, it's kind of like, um, the server, if, if if the server says, "Hey, I have this service, and you can re request all these RPCs," then it doesn't care if you're setting up a new connection each time, or you're just sending a bunch of you know commands over the same channel. Uh, I could certainly write some Python code that you know goes through a loop, and in each loop, dials the the server and, and sends a request. I could do it that way if I wanted to, but that would just be really bad, right? It's so it's not really defined. You know, it's kind of this is how you're supposed to do it. You set up a channel. And then you go through your loop and you just send a bunch of commands over that single channel. That's that's really how you need to do it. So yes, it's kind of controlled by how the client implements. Their code. It, it, it's by the end user and how they're actually yeah. doing that. How many times are you opening a call? Correct. And, and yeah, and so like in the code here, rather than going through your loop and opening a call and closing a call each time. It's almost like a, I'm trying to equate it to like opening a file and writing to a file in Python, yeah. right? Like you open the file outside of your loop go through yeah. your loop out of your stuff and then close when you're done rather yeah. than opening and closing a bunch of times and creating a bunch of churn. The same thing is true here. If you just open a single, it will all kind of go across that same channel, yeah. uh, reducing the TCP overhead. That's correct. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. And also built into gRPC is, is, the, is the fact that if that channel goes down due to a network partition or whatever, um, it will reconnect automatically and it has some kind of exponential back off. So, 
let's say for example you're speaking to a server that server reboots you don't have to redial in your you don't have to you know handle that in your code saying oh you know if it's if the channel is down then it's just it will just do that automatically for you in the background well, that's fascinating. And then I'm assuming there's some sort of timeout eventually that if it's down, down, and it's unavailable for a certain amount of time, you eventually give up. But at the, yeah. at the same yeah. time, the back off that's there for your code that's going to use that channel, if the channel's unavailable, it kind of stalls it for you. That's correct, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And to use a, just a specific example, I don't have the code in front of me, but I can mostly remember it. In Python, typically, after you get your compiled uh, Python libraries to interface with gRPC, you'll get basically a collection of stubs. And your stub is basically like your, your client side interface. So it's called, you know, in, in the iOS XR, it was something like gRPC config opera stub for config operations. And you would use in Python, a, a context manager, basically the with command or the with uh, statement, you'd say, you know, with open a new connection as M or, or whatever. And then you would say M dot whatever, you know, inside of that scope where you would be able to just open that connection do all your work and then uh, upon exit from the context manager the connection's automatically closed so unlike rest you're not dealing with things like specifying timeouts catching exceptions you don't typically have to focus as much on that work uh for example if you were using python requests so just to use that one simple python example kind of illustrates to darren's point how easy it can be to interface with gRPC, not just because of the CRUD operations and the telemetry, but also because of the kind of layer four connectivity improvements that are baked in to most of the stubs that are compiled from a protofile. Yeah, I think I think that's got to be one of the biggest selling points of the whole thing, right? From an overhead perspective, if you're talking about scale, if you're just doing a little bit of automation here or there, I mean, that's not going to be a huge deal. But if you're writing something that's constantly interacting with your devices, I mean, that overhead is going to end up being significant. And so that's, that's a huge thing. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So I guess oh, in talking about this, we've talked about the protocol and we've talked about that. I know Nikki mentioned before that, you know, iOS XR has support, NXOS has support, uh, iOS XE has one way support um, for, for streaming telemetry, but not through management yet. So that, I mean, that kind of manages like the Cisco ecosystem. My question is like broader support for this, uh, you know, obviously, you know, inside of Google, you guys have been using this for some time, you said. So whatever it is you guys are doing, and I know you don't ever talk about the stuff that you're doing inside unless it's published. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you there. But I mean, can you paint a picture either, uh, you know, Nick or Darren, like what like widespread? Is this widespread support for gRPC? Are we seeing it being adopted? Are we kind of in that, you know, the intermediate phase where some have it, some don't? I'm just trying to, to understand, like, if I'm running a network today, how likely is it that I can actually use this? So from a, I'm going to talk about non-networking for a second. Um, I know that both um, Google, you know, GCP and both um, Cloudflare as well actually recently uh, added support for the gRPC endpoints. So instead of just, uh, you know, fronting a CDN for a web service, you can actually now front directly expose a gRPC service through those CDNs, um, which is pretty nice. And the fact that two separate companies are doing it is, you know, is good. Obviously, Google being, you know, it's, it's kind of its own thing. But, um, you know, the fact that Cloudflare is also kind of exposing that is, is really nice. Um, yeah, so that's at least from a non-networking perspective. 
Nick, have you had experience like outside of Cisco? I know you, you know, you're working with Cisco a lot, but I'm just kind of curious what your, your take is on that. And it's all right if we don't know. I just, was yeah, I, I have to admit, I haven't done a whole lot with it. I mean, my experience with gRPC is pretty limited to internal research okay. uh, and conversations with people like Darren and a few others who have used it extensively. Um, I personally have, n- I, I think I, it would be remiss to say that it has currently taken off because I don't see it in my, you know, all the automation work I do for my customers is still relatively either like Ansible CLI based or REST based. And I mm-hmm. haven't had sometimes not conf, but I haven't had a whole lot of, I haven't had any gRPC for any customer engagements yet, but I think Darren suggested earlier, and I think he's right that it is growing in popularity pretty quickly for a lot of obvious reasons, but just like most things, there's going to be, you know, a lot of front, you know, excitement in the beginning followed by people slowly adopting it and then kind of a, a, a mm-hmm. migration of people and their own opinions to move away from REST and towards gRPC for certain uses. Um, again, I see them more as complementary in that they have different capabilities for different use cases. So I think that we are going to see both as long-term solutions in general. I don't think REST is going to go anywhere for a very long time. No, but, I, I don't. I don't see REST going away either. I mean, like REST yeah. has its own has its own purpose and and the simplicity of getting it set up. I think really when it comes down to it, like what's the barrier for gRPC? Whoever's building the network operating system has to offer it as a service, right? They've got to define this stuff and offer it. We see Cisco doing it as Cisco's doing it. I'm sure other people are doing it as well, right? And so when it comes down to, you know, the equipment that this is available on or the services that it's available on, it will continue to grow. Um, but I would imagine we're somewhere in that intermediate phase. I doubt everything has gRPC enabled for it, right? Like, and that's just kind of where I'm at. We're somewhere in that in that middle phase where it's being adopted. You're going to have to do some research to figure out whether or not it's something you can use today on what you have or not. Um, but we did, you know, Cisco obviously being the 800-pound gorilla in the enterprise world, at least. Um, it, clearly, they've they've adopted this as something that you can do and and start getting your hands dirty on and and start using. So that's you know we're not we're not so early in in the process here that it's unusable, right? <laughs> like that only because I mean so often and, and and Darren, you know, like uh, we give web scanners a hard time sometimes because you guys are so far ahead of us uh, in so many of the things that are going on that often like these great ideas come out, but they're just they're fiction to the rest of the world, right? Because we just don't have the hardware and the software and the, and the engineering uh, time put in to use them. This isn't that either, right? We're not, we're not that far. Yeah. Like we're somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And I just, just a quick one. I had a look and it looks like both AWS and Azure also actually support GRPC endpoints now. So if the three biggest cloud providers are doing it, it's, that's pretty nice. It's something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think you go back to the beginning. It's interesting because, it's, I actually find it, it, again, just when you go to a new language, it's always like, what am I doing here? What is this for? Why, you know, why am I even looking at this? But actually, I find that gRPC is actually easier than than REST, right? For the whole reason of, you know, we go back to the beginning, I have to either write up a whole client library to interface with something, or I have to download some other person's client library, which hasn't been updated since, you know, three years ago. Um, <laughs> whereas, with the with the with the proto, it's it's I just download the contract and I start writing code, right? To immediately start interfacing with that. Um, yeah, so I All think right. it's, it actually long term it's actually easier. I think. 
I, I think you're right. I mean, I think we've all lived that pain where like we're dependent on somebody else to that's written something that, you know, we don't know if that if that library is is perfect and flawless. It most likely isn't. And, and, and we're going to end up troubleshooting things or it's going to be incomplete. Or like you said, it's no longer supported because someone wrote it for something they were doing two years ago. And I now they're just of lost interest. And now I guess I'm the one who gets to pick up the torch because I actually need this thing right now. You know, like that type of thing. Whereas this is, you know, there's there's no dependence on that middleman or for you to write the interface unnecessarily because of that def definition. So I think we've covered a fair amount of ground here. I think we've covered most of our, of our outline. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you think is worth covering? Is there, is there any topic that we haven't hit yet? Yeah, there's something else I wanted to mention. And that is uh, with gRPC, uh, there's this concept that every, every request that you have, every RPC call you have has a built-in context. And the advantage of this, what it means is, I'll give you a good example of a website that I, I, I run. Sometimes when you run a call that may be pretty expensive in computational terms, let's say, for example, I need to get a whole bunch of data, which is going to take maybe five seconds, right? Whereas most queries take maybe a few milliseconds. I may, on the back end, be shotting that out to multiple servers, you know, for load sharing, right? What happens if I send it out to three servers and the first server, you know, comes back to me within a second? Those two other servers are still doing work, right? They're still chugging through. When in fact, I already have my answer, right? Why, why do I need to continue those other two to, to let them work? So gRPC, you have, because you have the context built into the request, I can just tell those other two uh, you know, servers, cancel this, this request. And they will just stop doing what they're doing and you know, basically dump out of the, out of the, the function. Um, you might be able to do this with REST, but I think it would be pretty difficult. Um, with gRPC, it makes it really, really simple to do that. Oh yeah, and this comes back to the. I mean, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. Imagine how you would do that in REST. Like if you had sent that out and something was processing, can you cancel that? And I, I've never encountered where that is. That's possible. So that is interesting as well. Mm -hmm. That that's kind of a built-in component. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I, I wonder, does gRPC sort of lend itself to being like a, an ideal protocol for doing large-scale orchestration? Uh, and, and are there orchestrators out there? That, that leverage this against uh, enterprise gear, you know, Cisco and Junipers and, and, and those uh, enterprise providers? I, I would say yes. Uh, I think gRPC is excellent for uh, doing this because I think, especially if you have a big, you know, what they call the new thing, microservice environment, the nice thing is that if you are running, creating a service that does X, right? Um, as long as you have your profile and you keep updating your profile, then I can continue to interface with your service without even really having to speak to you, right? As long as you've, you know, you've kind of commented your your profile to say this is what we accept and this is the answer you're going to get, I can just keep taking that profile and just, you know, keep updating my own libraries in the background. Um, so it means that it's actually very easy to grow these kind of orchestration tools because you can have teams doing certain things, and no one has to keep running client libraries for it. It's all just automatic. I just think about another question, uh, you know, again, using REST as a, as a compare contrast. I mean, oftentimes we see, you know, REST APIs that have versions, which are obviously things grow and things change over time. And, and whoever is writing the API adds additional components. Mm -hmm. And I can see this in gRPC also being changing, you know, changes. Oftentimes when we have a REST API, we can call the version of the API that we want to call. Is there a type of functionality there in 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 gRPC? Because I was I, like, it, the moment that it changes, right, it's going to be some sort of upgrade on the server side. Um, 
like th that proto file may change, right? <laughs> it's going to change if, if we've added a function, changed a function, removed a function. Um, there's there is there any way to run multiple instances of that? Like I'm just I'm thinking if there is there an equivalency here, right? So it's a good question. So there's multiple ways you can do this. If you are going to completely change the API, right? Completely change the contract. Um, then there's not a good way to deal with that, except maybe running two different versions on two different ports, right? However, gRPC has the, uh, uh, you know, with when it regards to the protofile, there's this, there's a very strong rule, and that is never redefine certain parts of a message, only deprecate parts and add new ones. What I mean by that, let's say, for example, I have a message that returns uh, a prefix, a prefix length, and a source ASN. Um, if I wanted to also Let's say I didn't want to return the ASN anymore, but instead I wanted to return, you know, the a, the actual string name of this autonomous system. I would not change the message that says ASN equals yada. I wouldn't say that, hey, change this now instead to the actual name of the ASN. What I would rather do is just add a new message, deprecate the previous one, and say this is the new one, right? The reason we do this is because, again, going back to how it, uh, it converts it to the binary format, if I'm still using an old version and you add a new field, it actually doesn't matter. I can still actually call. I can call that new version. It's just that field that has been extra. I will just completely ignore it on the client. But if you redefine it into something else, then the, then the, the, the client might misinterpret that to be like, because, again, it's just bits in the wire, right? It, it's, it, it doesn't have the context of, hey, this field has now changed. So um, with microservices, well, with, G with gRPC, you really need to, you know, once you've had your message, um, you shouldn't really change too much of it. You can add new fields, you can deprecate fields, but don't change fields that have already been defined. And if you do that, you can actually upgrade clients and services at different places, and it all still works. Yeah, that makes sense. So the idea is, you know, if you've already defined, you know, the first eight bits are, are data X and the second eight bits are data Y, you want to add Z to that, you add it, it becomes the third eight bit. So you don't change what the second eight bits are. So right. that if so, if someone's referencing that, but if you no longer need what those second eight bits are, you can deprecate that and just say that's no longer relevant. Yeah, um, but yeah. you're not going to actually remove that because if you did, then you're going to break code because you've already you've already people have already built <laughs> the interpretation of what all that looks like on the okay. client side. You know, you would have to go back and rewrite. So that makes sense. So there's just a matter of discipline in the way that you you build the server side so as to not uh, somehow you know uh, cut the legs out from underneath the people who are writing the client side code. It's Correct. really what it comes down to. Correct. And I'd, I'd add one more point to it: uh, if you really need to dramatically change something what you can also just do is just add a new rpc to your profile calling it version 2 for example if i said get origin i can just call it saying get origin v2 which returns a completely different message right and then when people call your code they could call the old one but they could also then call the new one right okay that makes sense so if you do need to change there's there's some options in there as well yeah okay uh that's really interesting so so tony i mean you and i both entered as as you know <laughs> on the ground floor of this, just trying to figure things out. I've learned a lot. I think I've gotten my questions answered. Have you gotten all your questions answered? Do you feel like you're, you've are you learned something about gRPC today? Yeah, yeah, actually I have. Um, I, I think it was a very good discussion. I, I see the light. I definitely see the light. <laughs> I, I'm a believer. T Tony's gonna Tony's going back into the lab now and is gonna start figuring I, out actually, how to- 
Yeah, actually, what I was doing is I was looking at, you know, um, some common network monitoring systems that traditionally use SNMP and seeing if they off also offer gRPC, you know, j just to see if they're sort of those monitoring systems uh, are transitioning, um, um, you know, with the times or are they going to be antiquated in favor of sort of like new streaming telemetry methods. So, so I'm just kind of looking that up right now and seeing what they support because this has got my gears moving. So it was definitely enlightening. Nice. Good deal. Well, uh, well, Darren and and Nick, thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, this was uh, much like Tony; it was very enlightening, and uh, and a good conversation. I think we're going to wrap it up here, though. So, um, uh, to all of you who are listening, thank you for listening. Always appreciate people who uh, take the time to listen to the show. Uh, if you enjoyed this, you can find lots like it uh, at networkcollective.com. Uh, we're coming up on four years, so it's it's pretty exciting, and there's a lot of content there. Go back and find every episode. Uh, that Nick has done with us because they all tend to be very, very good. Um, and and this is uh, no exception. Uh, Darren, uh, you you had big shoes to fill coming in on with Nick uh, <laughs> and you've done an excellent job. So uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on uh, when there's something relevant to talk about because this has been a lot of fun. Um, just also want to call attention to the fact that uh, we're doing our live stream. We do this every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Uh, you're welcome to join us there. It's uh, live, interactive, hanging out, having conversations, talking, networking. Uh, a little bit less formal than the podcast, a little bit more fun. Uh, so you should definitely should join us for that. Uh, social media, we're at NetCollectivePC on Twitter. Uh, we're, you can find us and search for Network Collective on LinkedIn, on uh, Facebook. I think it's places where to go. And I think that's it. So, uh, so thanks again, guys, for coming on the show. Thanks for listeners for listening. And with that, we'll wrap it up and we'll see you next time.